Bottom line is volatility is here. As we said before, we went the entire third quarter without so much as a 1% move up or down. And honestly, the second half of this October, it feels like we're getting a 1% move just about every day. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, John. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm great. More importantly, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, I think you're giving me a little cue here. Absolute. I turned 40 yesterday, John. Mm-hmm. Well, on Sunday, I guess I should say. So I had a big big weekend, a lot of celebrating and fun with neighbors and friends and family. And I survived. I'm glad to be back at work, really. It was a long weekend. It was fun, don't get me wrong, but a lot of eating and having a good time. So it's good to be back at work, but I made it. Lordy, lordy, Ryan turned 40. <laughs> my, best, my best attempt at a South Carolina accent. Well, go. happy birthday, buddy. Very, Thank, very pleased for you. Thank you very much. Good deal. I'm glad you had a nice weekend. And uh, I think it's also important that uh, even though I was born in the Bronx, mm-hmm. I think it's important to uh, congratulate all our teammates and colleagues and fans and players. Uh, Boston Red Sox won the World Series last night. Just, uh, you know, I can, even I can say, I have been a lifelong Yankee fan. Uh, this was a fun team to watch, much like the Cubs a couple of years ago. Uh, I, you know, just really, I couldn't hate them as much as I tried right. to. They, they were just a good bunch of guys, good teams. Uh, we had watched uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, when he was playing down the road here at the University of South Carolina when they were winning the College World Series. So uh, always, always excited to watch him play well. So it was a great series, don't you think? No, it sure was. Um, you know, I think I saw something like, they obviously went very long time. I don't know the details. Maybe you do without winning the World Series. This is their fourth one since two thousand four, though. Yeah, they and that's kind of like volatility, right? It comes in clusters. My goodness, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. They won five uh, in the early twentieth century and um, won eighty six years without winning. Yes, and then they've pulled off four in the last uh, fifteen years. So they've they've done real well. And uh, for whatever reason, my Yanks, they just. You know, winning that 28th World Series championship always seems to be the toughest, doesn't it? It's resistance level, apparently. That's right. Well, as a, as a Cincinnati Reds fan, we we had 1990. We haven't done too much since 1990, so at least mm-hmm. the Yankees done a little bit better than that. So, oh, well. uh, enough about sports. Sports well, just aggravate me. The thing about baseball yeah. is there's always next year, right? That's right. So we're grateful for that. <laughs> and and what about uh, recent market volatility? That's still front and center. So today on this podcast, I think once again we we need to address and coming upon us to address. Uh, some of the volatile trading we've seen in the financial markets. I also think it's important to talk about Europe. Uh, we had uh, uh, the ECB, European Central Bank, meet last week, as well as some political news over the weekend that is certainly of note. And then finally, I think it's important just to reiterate the solid domestic fundamentals. We have clearly a volatile trading pattern, but I'd like to address some of the economic fundamentals with you domestically and why we think investors should stay the course. So first and foremost, let's address market volatility. The ugliest October thus far, we've got a couple of days left, uh, but in just about seven or eight years, right, Ryan? It sure is, John. Yeah, this is looking like the worst October since the financial crisis in 2008, potentially the worst month since the flash crash in May 2010. Like you said, we've got a couple more days to go. So bottom line is volatility is here. As we said before, we went the entire third quarter without so much as a 1% move up or down. And honestly, the second half of this October, it feels like we're getting a 1% move just about every day. It seems um, so, You know, it? we sure are. Now, you know, some things to think about here, and we wrote this in our recent weekly market commentary, just kind of putting things in perspective. John, the average year sees three 5% corrections. The average year sees one 10% correction. Well, we've had three 5% corrections, and we are potentially looking at our second 10% correction this year. We're flirting with it. So absolutely, it 
feels strange to have this much volatility after a really calm third quarter, and honestly, a really calm couple of years, to be honest, really since February 2016. Uh, at the same time, it's important for investors to remember, you know, elevator up, escalator down, right? That's uh, or es- sorry, I had that reversed. That escalator did, yeah. up, elevator down. I told well, you it was you're a long. Now. I told you it was a long weekend. I'm, I'm I'm getting things mixed up already. He's drooling everybody. That's right, but. <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, markets go up nice and slow and steady, and they come down really fast is what I'm trying to say. And that's exactly clearly what we've seen this October. Uh, but, again, putting it in perspective, October's most volatile month of the year. We kind of, after a six-month win streak, it made sense maybe have a little weakness ahead of midterm elections, and it sure happened. Yeah, and then looking at how we want to define corrections, uh, whether or not we actually achieved one in late March, early April, it sure felt like one. So definitely had that's the right. one in February, took, took it on the chin the beginning of the second quarter. And then again, most recently, and uh, as we've discussed with our investors all year long, we've been looking for increased volatility. Midterm election years typically have the most volatile trading experience of the four-year presidential cycle, and this year clearly is no exception. However, we must provide perspective. It is not as bad as previous midterm years, right? We typically see a 16% drawdown uh, from peak to trough, and I'm not sure if anyone has the stomach to experience a 16% hit, but we are still above about four or five percent above the February low, mm-hmm. and uh, you know hopefully we can hold that. Um, uh, but more important, the most important thing for investors to keep in mind is, even though we've seen in midterm election years a 16% hit on average, tr- 12 months later the market's up from the trough. So that really speaks to the importance of embracing volatility and not using headline fears. I don't want to be dismissive of the fears, but when you're looking on the backdrop or a solid foundation of 3% economic growth, 20% profits, that's a pretty good foundation, we believe, to uh, weather some of the the many, many challenging headlines and risks out there. No, that's right, John. You know, and let's not forget, if you actually buy the S&P 500 the day of the midterm election in November, whatever day that is in early November, going back to World War II a year later, so 12 months later, S&P has been higher every single time. Now, believe me, some of those were relatively small and some volatility, but absolutely the bottom line is we are entering a positive seasonal uh, point of view. Now, the other thing, I was working on some numbers here, and we actually are sharing this in our weekly market commentary. It's a midterm year, as we've said many times. And looking at October, if you were to buy the October low on the S&P 500 during a midterm year and hold it till the end of the year, you'd be higher every single time up 10.6% on average. Now, I get it. To know when is the October low is the big question. We understand. But, hey, it very well was last week or it's going to happen a couple days before October is over. So seasonally, if you can hold that low to the last year, you're up every single time since World War II, 18 out of 18, up over 10% on average. So not a 1031 close. You're literally saying whatever whenever whenever we hit a low – Closing 12 months low. late, closing low, 12 months late. No, later. not just to the end of the year, end just to year. December okay. 31. That's correct. So, okay, and again, good. you know, the low, very, I mean, we're, I mean, we're doing this Monday morning, right? And markets are bouncing. We'll see where the low closed, but it looked like it probably was last week on the uh, S&P. And, you know, history would say, again, November, December can be pretty strong during those midterm years. And that's just another way of showing that. Well, yeah, you've done great work on that, along with Jeff Bookbinder, showing our clients the seasonality trends, right? Mm-hmm. And not only did what you just talked about with the month of October off the low, but um, if you break down the presidential election cycle, four-year period, that is what, 16 quarters. Yes. The three strongest quarters of the 16 are the current quarter now, fourth quarter of the midterm year, and first two quarters of the ensuing year. And more often than not, the reason for that 
is that the sitting president typically loses 28 seats in the House. So they lose 28 seats in the House, and what happens? You get some supply side, you get some demand side, you get whatever you can to goose the economy going into the next presidential election, and the market starts to discount that, right? So you start mm-hmm. to see strength uh, in these ensuing, or these these three quarters. So I think that's something investors need to appreciate. No, that's absolutely true. And normally, you get a little bit of weakness ahead of that positive positive time frame. And clearly, this year is so unique because everyone knows sell in May, go away. We talked kind of why we didn't think that'd be the case. And we gained five straight months from May until September. Everyone said, ah, so much for sell in May, go away. But if you think about it, the worst six months of the year end, like right around now, we sure are getting, uh, obviously, that big dip, which leads to the best six months of the year coming up here, uh, starting with November. We'll dig more into kind of some of those numbers, what that means in future podcasts. But uh, from a seasonal point of view, yes, it's been rough. October's been that big pullback, like we've seen in history. But still, um, investors need to understand the positive fundamentals, which we'll talk about in a second. But seasonals really are one of those big, I guess we'll call it big tailwinds that can help um, this overall bull market continue. Yeah, I guess you, you never want to say it's different this time, but it was different this time, wasn't it? Because sure was. the third quarter usually takes it on the chin in midterm election years. And really the dynamic, as we've shared in previous podcasts, the administration in middle of July decided not to fight a multi-front trade war. So you saw progress relative to South Korea, then Mexico, then Europe, and then ultimately Canada. So instead of fighting a five-front trade war, uh, it appears now it's only a one-front trade war. And I don't think we're going to see anything on, with China until the next Congress is sworn in. But typically a down quarter, third quarter, we're up seven or 800 mm-hmm. base points for the quarter. So that also, you know, lends itself to some analytical flexibility when we look at historical data, doesn't it, Ryan? No, it, it absolutely does. Now, John, also this week, it's Halloween. I have to ask you, what are you going to dress up for for Halloween? <laughs> I gave that up a long time ago. And now that we're empty nesters... <laughs> We were driving home last night. My wife and I were out. We drove down the street and we saw a, a lot of houses decorated. And we realized, oh yeah, we have we have some new younger neighbors. So we're going to have to load up the bowl for our trick or treaters. It's been a few slow years since our kids moved out of the house. I think we're going to have this next wave. So we're looking forward to it. <laughs> That's oh, that'll be fun for sure. Yeah, I've got three kids also, and they are all into Halloween. So we're looking forward to Wednesday. But what I'm getting at here, Halloween, we think of scares and tricks and treats, John. We mentioned three concerns in the weekly market commentary that we just wrote. I'm going to read them and then, you know, tell me which one you think maybe is your biggest concern. One recent concern, U.S.-China trade worries continue to dominate. The Fed potentially making a policy mistake. And then stocks technical momentum breaking down. S&P obviously broke its 200-day moving average. And there's some definite weakness on a technical front. Out of those three concerns we listed in the weekly market commentary, John, which one do you think um, matters the most? It's probably tough to say, like pick a favorite kid, right? At the same time, which one should we really be uh, up at night worrying about, you think? Well, I am going to take them in order of least likely okay. to fear me. Um, and you didn't see this coming either, so I, right. I can see you writing down so, as I was saying. I'm actually making your work here. And yeah. one of the things Ryan and I pride ourselves in is not having notes, not having an outline. Just <laughs> Trying to stump each we other. We walk into the room, we come up with three things to talk about. <laughs> so it's mental gymnastics. Of those three concerns, China, the Fed, and momentum in the markets, mm-hmm. the least of my concerns is the Federal Reserve. And I know that's counter to what the consensus is saying, but I've talked with many 
investors, and we've suggested on this podcast previously that Fed Chair Jerome Powell is not burdened with the expectations of a PhD in economics. So he is not married to these econometric models. He is very much paying attention to market signals, shameless self-promotion for our podcast. Hashtag LPL market signals. (laughs) (laughs) But he, uh, I think he's going to pay very close attention not only to the Fed's official mandates, which are price stability and full employment, but I think he's going to pay very close attention to market stability, but also currency stability. And I think he's going to be very, very careful as to make sure that they dampen market volatility, rather, and want to make sure the currency is strong, but not too strong. Because I think he's very savvy, and I think he's very well aware of uh, debt financing in the emerging markets, interest payments on the $4 trillion in dollar-denominated debt, but also the importance of food costs. And food Mm -hmm. represents a much larger portion of consumer pricing measures in the East. So I think he's going to be very mindful of that as well. He doesn't want to put central bankers in a position in the emerging world where they're jacking up interest rates to support their currencies so their people can eat. That is the least of those three concerns. Secondly, stock momentum. I'm old school fundamentalist, mm-hmm. and when those don't work, I go to the charts. And uh, that's why you and I are such a great partnership, because mm-hmm. you're the charts first, then fundamentals. So we have mm-hmm. a, a good little back and forth. I look at the charts, and when I think about the importance or the prevalence of passive investing and the, the strength of growth and the the effect that algorithms and program trading are having on uh, momentum investing in the markets. I still believe there's wisdom in price. I still believe there's efficient markets, but I'm not convinced the markets are efficient on an intraday basis any longer. So closing below the 200-day doesn't upset me as much as it had in previous years. Uh, We bounced around 2,700 on a few occasions last week on the S&P 500. We ended up breaking that again on Friday. But nonetheless, I guess 2530 to 2550 yeah. is now the new low we're watching. Technically, uh, that would be the February low, February to April lows. When push comes to shove, the fundamentals are going to win out. Now, maybe I'm too old school there. And I said to a group on Friday morning when I was speaking in Colorado, you know, I will go to pieces when the fundamentals fracture. But when, as long as the fundamentals aren't fracturing and the market is selling off, I think it's important to right. keep it together. And uh, so that is my second least concern because you are going to see short covering. You are going to see deep value plays. There are still some buy programs there to help what had once been market support, which should help the market then bust through market resistance. So, And then the top of the risk would be China trade war because while we've done a lot of analysis as to it's approximately a $30 billion hit actual this year, We've done some numbers suggesting up to $200 billion worst-case scenario over the mm-hmm. course of the next 12 months. You know, the hit may only be a handful of tenths of a percent to overall GDP, but what it does right. to confidence in how we saw 11 or 12 percent business investing uh, increases in the first quarter of 2018 – but less than 1% increase in the third quarter of 2018. Clearly, there was some front-end load there, but unfortunately, it, it is weighing on CFOs and CEOs and whether to what degree they implement further additional. And that's really key because uh, it's not necessarily so much the China trade thing, but it really comes down to we have weak productivity, and the reason why we have weak productivity is because we haven't seen that CapEx. We haven't right. seen that CapEx cycle, that business investment and capital expenditures. So to the degree we're able to see that in a fully employed economy, that's how we get productivity up. And if you get productivity up, the economy can expand without an inflationary threat, which enables the Federal Reserve from getting too aggressive. Well, that, those are great points there. And it sounds like you've been working on the 2019 
market outlook there with some of the things you're talking about. That's exactly right, yeah. (laughs) Maybe we'll wrap it up like this, John. We talked for a while on volatility, and it's important. Um, You know, on this recent, we'll call it, you know, almost 10% correction on the S&P with, again, looking at potentially, depending on your source, almost 23, 24% year of your earnings growth in the third quarter. PE multiples are really cheap, quote-unquote. I got my, you know, quote-unquote cheap. 15.5 is the S&P 500 forward PE multiple. That's the lowest since early 2016. Now, just because things are cheap doesn't mean they can't keep going lower. At the same time, for those value investors out there, you know, multiples are getting cheap. So that, so that's kind of the – we'll put the bow tie on the um, volatility discussion, John. Let's now move gears to Europe. Sure. Obviously, Europe, from a purely – Price action technical point of view has been very weak. Some of the recent economic data out of Europe has been really weak. The services and manufacturing data that came out recently was near two-year lows across the board. What do you think about Europe here? Yeah, we're still concerned. Uh, we have been favoring the U.S. emerging, then Europe. Uh, the U.S. call up until a couple of weeks ago went well. Uh, the emerging call struggled yeah. all week, all year. The Europe call, meaning underweight Europe, has has done relatively well for our portfolios because there there are several dynamics going on in Europe. Clearly, if you just think about you know the currency union in and of itself, and you you saw the elections a year ago when France and the Netherlands avoided the worst case scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, nonetheless populism was strong, right? And again, that's a function of to to a large extent you have the Brussels and then individual capital. You know, Rome, for example, right now, conflicts. The bigger issue was really you had currency union without fiscal union. You know, Rahm Emanuel, when he became uh, chief of staff for President Obama in January of '09, made a great comment, never let a good crisis go to waste. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the founding fathers of the currency union were very much prepared to drive one or the other through, whether have currency union or fiscal union. I think they determined that currency union would be easier. And then once there was a crisis, then and only then could you have some form of currency union. So Europe is really at a crossroads right now. Henry Kissinger said, to whom do you call when it's time to call Europe? Hmm. And clearly that had been Angela Merkel uh, for the better part of 15 or 20 years now. we're not so sure that's going to be the case going forward. Uh, she's stepping down from leadership of her party. She's not stepping down from leadership of Germany. But the Christian Democrats keep losing in regional elections. So consequently, she's stepping aside from that. She is supposed to hold on to her position until 2021. But that's just another glaring example of how populism is winning out. And if populism is winning out, you're less likely to see support for the currency. You're less likely to see support for some sort of assumption of European debt. And, uh, you know, I've often thought uh, WPA 2.0 would be appropriate for Europe because you have largely failed immigration policies on top of an immigration crisis because of Turkey and Syria, and you have crumbling infrastructure. So the best way to assimilate many of these people would be through some sort of infrastructure project and uh, an assumption of of pan-European debt. Now, uh, when you see struggles such as this in Germany, and clearly the the big concern now, you know, we've heard about Greece for five or six years. I think the only reason why I heard about Greece was because everyone was worried about Italy. Italy is the third or fourth largest credit market in the world, and uh, the exposure to banks is really a big deal there. So uh, whether you're looking at Italy, whether you're looking at assumption of debt, whether you're looking at Germany, clearly Brexit. Uh, Brexit's supposed to go into play mm-hmm. uh, next spring, and it's conceivable that you have an 11th-hour parliamentary vote or 11th-hour referendum. 
so we're not out of the woods yet. So there are many, many dynamics politically uh, and structurally going on in Europe. And uh, Mario Draghi at, at the ECB last week, when the ECB decided to hold rates at negative 0.4%, we still have negative overnight lending rates in Europe as well as Japan. You know, they're going to they're gonna stop the monthly bond buying program as of the end of this December, and everyone is targeting September for an increase in interest rates from simply negative rates right. to less negative <laughs> rates. So uh, I think we've got a while for Europe, and uh, this weekend's news on Angela Merkel only makes it a little more complicated. So we're going to continue to underweight the space. Makes, makes sense to me. Good stuff there. So, John, looks like we only have a couple of minutes left here. Last week, we did have a GDP report came out, came in at 3.5% above the expectations. The last two quarters now come in at 3.9%, the strongest we've seen since 2014. So that still looks good. And you look under the surface a little bit, spending, consumer spending is uh, kind of leading. So there's some positives there. Inventories were a little on the weak side, and that was a little concerning. We continue to hear concerns, obviously, as we talked about, your big concern, China, mm-hmm. over potential trade issues there. So that that filtered in there. We also had the the Fed's beige book, which kind of what Main Street's seeing out there and mm-hmm. what it's thinking, and that came in relatively strong as well. So overall, I guess we'll kind of finish it with fundamentals here. Fundamentals still do look pretty strong. You know, housing has clearly been a weakness when you talk about what's wrong with the U.S. economy or what are the concerns. But overall, we're still seeing more positives and negatives. Strong GDP still looks good. Earnings drive long-term gains. We're still having positive uh, earnings growth this year and hopefully next year as well. We're looking at double-digit earnings growth next year as well. Maybe uh, how do you want to wrap it up, John? Fundamentals, what do we think here? Yeah, fundamentals, um, you know, we don't want to be dismissive of the risks. A lot of, lot of concerns out there, but when they're on the foundation of – 20% profit growth, 3% GDP, a fully employed economy, the highest consumer confidence ratings in 16 or 17 years, Yes. Um, business confidence in a similar stratosphere, manufacturing services, uh, we're seeing the best numbers in 12 or 13 years there. When I look at all those fundamentals, I don't want to, again, be dismissive of risks out there, but on that foundation, we think it's very important for investors to really, you know, I sent out a tweet recently, you know, traders trade, investors invest, you choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we think investors should be investing at this time. Uh, that's right. You know, you mentioned manufacturing. The ISA manufacturing data does come out. I think it's on Thursday of this week. So that's going to be a big one again with the concerns over the trade, uh, trade tariffs and trade wars and trade worries. Also, we have the um, jobs number on Friday. A little disappointing jobs number last month. We'll see if it can bounce back up close to two hundred thousand, which is expected uh, for the October jobs number to end the month. But John, I'm going to let you sign it off here. Everyone have a great Halloween, and we'll be back next week. Take it away, John. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. 
This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.